If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello all, my name is Moses. I just want to remind everyone that this is part 24 of a multi-part series. Today, Sonia will be interviewing John, but before that, I will briefly summarize what we've covered so far in the series, and then we will return to the discussion. The summary is as follows. The Gospel according to John is challenged by skeptics because it is so different from the other three Gospel books. Presenting a clear picture of Jesus as the divine Son of God and a clear picture of the Gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Skeptics have long claimed that John was published late in AD 90s and that these elements are legendary elements that developed over a long period of time. However, these attacks are bogus. First, as we saw, even if John had been published in the 90s, that would still have it be within the lifetime of eyewitnesses who could confirm or deny these elements. People today can remember back to World War II times and the Holocaust. True, average lifespans were shorter in Roman times than today, but that was mainly because deaths in childhood and military encounters. Those who survived could expect to live as long as we do today. In fact, liberal scholars seem to realize this and originally claim the gospel books were written after AD 130 and John no earlier than AD 160. These dates were set forth by one F.C. Bauer on the basis of not evidence but philosophical musings about how Christianity might have come about. This is why it is so important for us to demand actual evidence for such claims. In this case, the discovery of a fragment of a manuscript of the Gospel according to John that dated to AD 125 at the latest proved that the supposed assured results of critical scholarship were wrong. Skeptical scholars were first to admit that all the Gospel books date to the first century, which does not allow for enough time for legends to develop and be incorporated into these writings. Legends do develop through the years about historical characters, but what we believe about Jesus was there from the very beginning. Furthermore, by pushing the gospel books late, liberal scholars make Paul's letter the earliest New Testament writings, and there is nothing in John that is not already in Paul. Nevertheless, some evangelical scholars have been induced to even denying the historicity of the gospel according to John and treating it as mere wisdom literature rather than historical narrative and even likening it to a parable that was not meant to be taken as history. These claims are being used by Muslim apologists to undermine the truth of the gospel message and combined with other attacks on the gospel books by liberal scholars can undermine even the resurrection itself. Nevertheless, despite the actual evidence, evangelical scholars side with the liberal scholars in dating the gospel according to John, somewhere between 80, 80 and 100. And this is fed to Christians in the pews via study Bible notes and commentaries. Most of the scholars commenting on this have not studied the evidence directly, but are passing on the party line. And when we look at their reasons, we find them wanting. First, 
Jesus foretold Peter's death in John 21:19, but that does not mean John published his book after the event, since this was a predictive prophecy by Jesus, just as he foretold the destruction of the temple, and this was recorded by Matthew and Mark, who published their gospel books before the prophecy was fulfilled. In John, also, we see the fulfillment of prophecies by Jesus that had already happened were recorded by John in his gospel book. And there are two passages in the gospel books according to John where the writer should have mentioned the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple if they had already happened, after John 4.24 and after John 11.50. The fact that it is not mentioned indicates this book was published before the events happened in AD 70, blightly asserting that the book was probably written in AD 80s and 90s is baseless. Meanwhile, suggesting that the book must have been so late because it presents such a high view of Jesus as a deity should be an unacceptable argument for an evangelical, as it is suggesting that such ideas were developed by the church decades later, rather than being an accurate portrayal of Jesus' self-revelation. Nor does which Jewish groups John does or does not mention help date the book. Nor does the fact that John mentions both names for the Sea of Galilee. Since, as far as we can tell, the second name Sea of Tiberias was used before Jesus began his public ministry. Particularly troubling is the claim that Thomas's confession of Jesus as my Lord and my God in John 20, 28 was a repost to the imperial cult of the Emperor Domitian, who used that title for himself, indicating John was written after Domitian became emperor in AD 81. But that would suggest that John retrodicted these words into Thomas's mouth. In fact, such titles were used long before Domitian and in this case of Jesus are based on the Old Testament titles of God himself. Also, the claim that excommunication seen in John 9.22 only happened after AD 70 is false. We see such things even in the Old Testament. And what about the testimony of the early church fathers? We hear that they unanimously support the late date of the gospel according to John. But that is not true. There's plenty of testimony that John lived to an old age, but not that he wrote the gospel book late. There is no claim of this until Epiphanes in the 4th century, and his testimony is garbled and unreliable. No one else says this until the 9th century. So here is another example showing that evangelical scholars really need to be more careful about checking the actual evidence before making assertions. As we have seen, the lack of the mention of the destruction of the temple indicates the gospel according to John was published before AD 70. Furthermore, the fact that the editorial comment about the death of Peter foretold in John 21, 18 to 19 speaks of his death in the future and not the past. This indicates that Peter had not yet died, which puts the publication of the gospel according to John to AD 64 or 65 at the latest. This is supported by ancient inscriptions in many manuscripts that tell us that this book was published 32 years after the ascension of Christ, which puts it to AD 64 or 65. Even though the manuscripts are relatively late, the widespread extent of the colophons suggests that they go back to the 3rd century. Furthermore, since the dates given in these colophons for the publication of Gospel according to Matthew and the Gospel according to Mark agree perfectly with the dates given by Eusebius, we should trust them for the dates of the Gospel according to John also. And, as we have seen, the year 64 to 65 given for John in the colophons dovetails precisely with the dates given by the internal evidence.
So why is the Gospel according to John so different from the Synoptic Gospels? In the previous episode, we started a comparison drawn from the world of hockey, specifically the summit series between Canada and the Soviet Union that took place in 1972. The books written about this series afterwards and how they compare to the gospel books. Now we continue our discussion. Now, I read a lot of books on this. Let me, let me talk about four books. And I'm going to try to make the authorship correspond roughly to the gospel authorship. There's Hockey Showdown, written by Harry Sinden. Sinden was the coach of the team. So we're talking about somebody who was intimately involved in the inner circle but not the, the most intimate, not the closest. So roughly corresponding to Matthew. Uh, we have Face Off at the Summit by Ken Dryden with Mark Mulvoy. Ken Dryden was, was intimately involved. He was the goaltender for four of the games, including Game 8. And this book now would kind of correspond to Mark because it's written, Mark is based on Peter's testimony, a very, very inner person in the inner circle on events, but he passed on his testimony to Mark, who actually wrote it down. So here's Ken Dryden with Mark Mulvoy, which means Ken Dryden passed his story to Mark, who wrote it down. And then we have Cold War by Roy McSkimming. And this fellow was not in the series. He had no immediate connection. He just researched stuff, talked to eyewitnesses. So he corresponds to Luke a writer who was not involved in the events, but then researched and talked to eyewitnesses. So we have these three books. When you compare them, they are very, very similar. They cover the same territory. They talk about the lead-up to the series, how it came about, uh, the overconfidence of the Canadians at first, and then they go through blow-by-blow each of the eight games, uh, culminating with Henderson's amazing goal, and then they talk a bit about the aftermath. Now, here's a fourth book on the series, and this one is written by Paul Henderson. It's called Shooting for Glory. And while the first three books are all very similar, and most books on the series are, this one is quite different. In this one, most of the book isn't even about the series. And what's it about? Well, it does include the series. It talks a bit about Paul Henderson's uh, uh, background, his childhood and so on, and then talks a bit about the series, and that goes on to other things. And why is that? Well, Henderson, after he won that, he scored that winning goal, he was on top of the world. He had not just reached the, the absolute pinnacle his field could offer. He reached a pinnacle that had not beforehand even been imagined. So he had everything hockey could offer to him, everything. He had the fame, he had the, the money. Well, they weren't paid that well in those days, but he had money, he had fame, he had adulation, he had achievement. Everything the world says will bring you happiness. Please note that this is a multi-part series. If you have missed any episodes and would like to listen to them, they will all be available on our YouTube channel and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can find the links to these on our website, truthinmydays.com, or you can look for Truth In My Days on YouTube as one word. And he was there. And, and this is the thing with people get there. They usually can see whether it brings happiness or not. People who don't have them, they can, they can keep thinking that only if I get these, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be fulfilled. Then I'll be satisfied. Henderson got there 
And it didn't fulfill him. It didn't satisfy him. He became bitter, angry. And he stayed that way. And he was kind of in a downward spiral until he came across a Christian evangelist who presented him the gospel. And Henderson came to faith uh, in Christ. He's a Christian. He's in Christian ministry to this day, actually. And so the purpose of his book was evangelism. The hook was the series, of course. That's what everybody knows him for. That's what they want to read about. That's how he gets them in. But the goal of his book, it's to get people to hear and believe the gospel of Christ. And that's why that book is so different. So what does that tell us? That tells us that your goal in writing a book is going to be very instrumental in the shape of that book, isn't it? Yes. Yes, exactly. So... The question is, if we look at the four gospel books, are they all written for the same purpose or to the same audience, or is one of them different? Well, two of the gospel writers explicitly tell us why they are writing. Luke, in his prologue in Luke 1, verses 3 to 4, can you read that for us? It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Okay, so this Theophilus, who is this? What, what, what can we know about him from this this little blurb here? What can we know about him? I, I suppose maybe some kind of, uh, could he be some, some kind of uh, church servant and he wants to, to know that um, there's a good reason for the stuff he's supposed to do. I, I don't really know. Uh, what as a person? Well, who is Theo- Theophilus? Some people think that he's, he's some rich Roman, perhaps Luke's patron. Others think that this is just a literary device. Theophilus, what does that mean? Someone who loves God, I suppose. Yeah, so so it could be used as kind of a generic term for any Christian who reads the book, but. Whoever Theophilus is, he is a, already a believer. Okay? That you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So you're writing to somebody who's already been instructed in the gospel. And it, it's the book is written to give him certainty, maybe to give him more details, fill him in on some parables, for example, that he may not know. But it's written to a believer. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, but please join us for the next part, same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you.